Our scripture reading this morning will come from Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 84, verse 1 through 4. In your pew Bibles, that's on page 526. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Selah. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us, we welcome you. If you're coming home, thank you for doing that. It encourages us by you doing that, and we hope that we can encourage you uh, by your coming home. It has, uh, is a wonderful day already. If you were here for the Bible class time, you enjoyed, uh, if you were in the auditorium here, a tremendous lesson as Andrew uh, tied together our theme as we're looking at the church and This particular Sunday, we looked at fellowship and how important that's been over the last 115 years. And what a blessing that that was to be a part of that study. Do keep in mind, if you have entered from this side of the building coming in, there is a timeline on the other end of the the foyer. And we would encourage you to go down and sign the timeline whenever you became a part of this family here at the Mount Juliet congregation. If you were baptized here, be sure and sign that date also. If you were born into a family that was going here, be sure and sign the time that you were born. And throughout the day, we will create a timeline of the family here at Mount Juliet. So be sure and participate in that. And what a blessing it's going to be to be able to look back over that. Do keep in mind, That this afternoon at 2 o'clock we will begin a program that will spend about half the time looking in the past. And then about uh, 10 or so minutes looking at the present. And then another 10 or so minutes looking to the future. And so that will go from about 2 to 3 o'clock. There will be an informal slideshow that will be looping a couple of times beginning at about 1.45. So if you're here early and want to come in and enjoy seeing that, please uh, do that. Also at 3.15 we will begin... Uh, what traditionally would be our evening worship service. We'll have a, an old-fashioned singing. Uh, men will be invited to lead songs. The sign-up sheet for that is uh, at the Welcome Center, so be sure and go by and sign that. And as time permits, we'll allow all that are willing to do that to lead a couple of verses of a song. So be planning on that, and please go ahead and sign up for that so plans can be made. We look forward uh, to Brother Pat Hackney uh, extending the invitation at the end of that singing. Uh, He was born here and grew up here and has been such a vital part of the life of this congregation uh, in the last several decades. And we appreciate his life and his family so much. And we look forward to him closing out the day during that time of invitation. Do keep in mind, there will not be a 6 p.m. service here tonight. When we think of our town of Mount Juliet, you know, there's various versions of history. But as I've read about it, There was a lady named Julia Jennings that was born in the early 1800s. She married a fellow named Guy Gleaves. They lived on Stoner Creek and he owned a large estate of land. It was there that she had upon a knoll of a hill her house and a country store. During the Civil War, when many people were hungry and in need of provisions, 
Her generosity brought her the title, the angel of the community. It is said that perhaps the name Mount Juliet came from the little hill that Julia lived on, Mount Juliet. Now that's much preferred to another version that we could share about a drink that came from Eagle's Tavern down the road of mint julep the drink. Some have even said that maybe the first version of the name of the town came from the tavern and later it was adopted to Mount Juliet to better reflect the community itself. In 1870, the Tennessee and Pacific Railroad was built here where our railroad is today. That moved the town about a half a mile north. Now when you think about the fact in 1891, the Gleaves family donated the very land that we are setting on this morning. And to think that since its very beginning, it's been in the heart of this community. Their generosity and God's blessings has been very gracious upon the life of this congregation for many decades. To think of the tremendous location and to think of the many lives that have been touched over a 115-year period of time. It's really hard to imagine 115 years, isn't it? It's hard to think back of really how long that is. The Wrigley's Company began in 1891. The first hall in America that was built for the performance of music, was built in 1891, 2,247 seats, the grand opening of the Carnegie Hall. The radio was patented in 1891. The Swiss Army knife, it was patented in 1891. And even though some of you youth probably think it's been around forever, basketball was invented in 1891. The term neuron was coined in 1891. And many of you youngsters are going to be thankful for this. There was a Labor Act that was passed, the Act of 1891. And it raised the minimum working age in factories from 10 years old to 11 year olds in 1891 here in America. Isn't it amazing how some things have changed? But isn't it also amazing how some things have remained the same? You see, in 1891, there were a group of Christians in this community that said, we want a congregation of the Lord's church here. And they loved God and they loved His church so much that they gave and they invested their heart and their energy. They invested their lives to make it a reality. And what is it that caused that church to grow then? And what is it that now becomes our responsibility to do those same things that this congregation can continue for the next 115 years if the Lord wills time? What is it that they did at the beginning that we must continue doing? This morning, I'd like for us to reflect upon a beautiful passage. The text has already been capably read for us. But it's called the Supreme Psalms of the Sanctuary. You see, it's the idea that of all the Psalms, this one perhaps says more beautifully what it is about to come into God's house. And as you'll notice as we look back again at verse 1 in Psalms 84, he says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. Now I want you to imagine this as it is written to be sung. Sung from the heart. And so individuals are singing from their heart to God. How lovely is your tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? 
Do you remember how David wanted to build the temple, but because he was a man of war that shed blood, God would not allow him to build the temple. He could only collect the supplies for his son Solomon to later build the temple. Before that, they worshipped and, and religious activity took place in the tabernacle. And Moses was the first to build the tabernacle, but it wasn't his plan. It was God's plan. In Exodus, the 25th chapter, God was the one that spoke to Moses and told him not only that he wanted a tabernacle, but told him every dimension of the tabernacle. Told him exactly what size the holy place should be and then what should be contained within the holy place. What size the most holy place should be and what should be in the most holy place. Even the courtyard that would extend beyond the holy area. Not only did he tell the dimensions, but he told exactly what fabrics should be used and exactly the color that should be and the exact furniture and etc. that would be in it. Even down to the very number of loops that would be on the curtains that would hang from very uh, specified rods. You see, the point is this. When we think today, what in the world was the tabernacle? The tabernacle was a place in the most holies that represented the presence of God. It was a place that we read in Exodus that one time it's referred to as the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Now think about that for a moment. It's called the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. In other words, not only did it represent the presence of God, but it represented a gathering for the congregation of God's people. It also represented a pattern from God. In other words, it wasn't Moses that sat down and said, you know what, to keep everybody focused on God and to keep everybody united, we might ought to come up with some kind of structure and and here's my plan for a tabernacle. No, this was from God. This was all about God. This is what God wanted God's people to do. And you know what? I don't know if it'll come as a surprise to you, but it isn't a new thing to have special contributions. When you say, well, how was this tabernacle funded, they had a special contribution. As a matter of fact, they asked for it to be given, and each day people would bring supplies, money, etc. And finally, in Exodus the 36th chapter in verse 6, Moses had to restrain the people because they had already given too much. So now let's think about all that again as we think about the psalmist saying, How lovely is your tabernacle. Were they singing praises to some structure that was built out of heavy curtains? No. It was about relationships. He was singing praises to the God whose presence was recognized there. To the place that brought all of God's children together. To the place that was exactly by God's plan. It was God's pattern. The place that people sacrificed in order for it to exist. And so the fact is this, what caused this church to grow with this location over the past 115 years? And what will take it into the next 115 years? It's when people have a relationship with God, that they sing praises to God, and they realize the importance of God's church. You see, when we read in 1 Timothy the third chapter and verse 15, we find out that in the New Testament, that the church is the house of the Lord. And it is the pillar and ground of truth. And so it is when we love the Lord and when we love His church, then we are ready to be a part of something that is worthy of handing down to the next generation and to the next and the next. But you see, we have to have that relationship with God. Do you remember Moses? 
How strong his relationship was with God. Do you remember in Exodus the 33rd chapter what he wanted? He didn't want for God to allow the people to leave to another location. He says, unless your presence goes with us. And it was there in that same story that he said, God, I want to see your glory. And you remember, that's where God said, no man can see my face and live. And so he put him up on the cleft of the rock. And it's there that he put his hand over him. And he passed by and then he removed his hand so he could see his back. But no man could see the glory of God and live if he saw that most glorious side of God. And so what's the point? The point is this. People have always been able to do great things for God that affects a lot of people in a positive way if we long for a relationship with God. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for thee. Psalms 42 and 1. As we... Look at this particular verse here. I'd like for us to look deeper. If you have your Bibles open, still here at this same text here in Psalms 84, drop down and read verse 11 and notice how this beautiful description is talked about as, as we see God for the blessing that He is in our life. He says in verse 11, Psalms 84 and 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk upright. Now notice how he describes God here. God is a son. The idea here is he's the source of blessings. He's the source of light. Also, he's a shield. He's that that protects us from all that would harm us. And because of this, we don't deserve it. It's graciousness. And because of that, when we live it out, the son, radiance, glory, glorified. And so when we live for the son, we enjoy the radiance or the glory of God. Now... Notice what this does as we read the last half of verse 11 again. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Notice the walk here. The walk deals with us deciding to live in a righteous manner. Now it's interesting that he just noted in the middle of that verse the grace and the glory of God. And then he closes the verse by saying it's for all those that choose to walk upright. In other words... Think with me, if you will, for just a moment of a box. And this box is created because of boundaries that mark the outer edges of the box. Inside this box is our relationship with Christ. If we decide to walk uprightly, we will maintain that relationship with God. And notice again in verse 11, no good thing will He withhold from us. In other words, if we live in that path, all of the glorious gifts, all the wonderful blessings of God will come upon either an individual or upon a family. Now there are oftentimes individuals that speak as if you have to separate God's law and God's grace and you have to accept one or the other. And that is not a doctrine that's taught in the scriptures. Instead here, what do we see? He's saying for all those that walk uprightly. In other words, when the Lord says do something, they do it. They walk uprightly. When the Lord says don't do something, they don't do it. They walk uprightly. Well, what's the blessing? The Lord won't withhold anything good from those people. Now let's think about in the life of a congregation. What if a congregation walks in the teachings of God, walks uprightly? We're going to enjoy the glory and the grace of God. He is going to be a source of a sun, if you will, to us. And He is going to protect us, a shield to us. Friends, I believe with all of my heart that is what has brought this congregation to the point, the time that it is today, celebrating the glorious past. Not our glory, God's glory over the last 115 years. And if we're going to march forward for another 115 years, the sun, 
God must shine. His shield must protect as we decide to walk uprightly, allowing Him to set the boundaries of safety and security for us. In other words, sound doctrine. Sound means healthy. What is healthy for us as individuals and for a life of a congregation. Notice, if you will, verse 2. And as we're about to read verse 2, you see how it says, My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I'd like for you, I just want to throw out something for application. And you take and and make it strong in your life. But this is an application that really ties point 1 and point 2 together. Verse 1 and verse 2. And it's the idea of... When you're in love with someone, what do you do? When you're in love with someone, you communicate with them, you talk about the things that interest them, you do the things that are in the best interest for them. Are you in love with God? You see, that's the whole point of this this psalm. Here is a writer that is in love with God and God's people. And so he says, how lovely are you? And then in verse 2, he describes his longing. You see, the point is... If we ever get in our mind a notion that all we want to do is have a good congregation and we take the emphasis off that relationship that we love God, we'll cease to be a congregation that God can bless. And so we say, well, what is this longing that we must have for God? Did you notice there in verse 2, he says the soul longs. That's talking about breath. That's talking about life. The soul longs. But notice he says, yes, even faints. So first he says there's that desire. But then he says that desire even faints. The idea idea there is not that it ends uh, in the sense that it's failure. The idea is there that is where it ends. In other words, what do we long for? We long for a right relationship with God and with His church, with His family. And that is our longing, that is our desire, and that is our desire to the very end. Commitment. Verse 1 tells us about relationship. Verse 2 talks about commitment. Are we willing to do this day in and day out? What brought this congregation to where it is today? We know it was the blessings of God, but wasn't it the blessings of God as people made themselves available for God's service day in and day out? There had to be people that were committed over the last 115 years. And if we are going to move forward over the next 115 years, we have to be people that are committed. Now, I'd like for you to tie this... And by the way, verse 2 where he says, my heart and my flesh cry out. The Hebrew there for cry out is one word and it almost always means joy of either shouting out loud or singing out loud the joy. And so see here, he's, he's writing this song that's to be sung and because of the longing to say, Lord, I desire you and I desire you to the very end. And because of that, that is the song that is sung out loud. But now, if you will, tie this in with verse 5 and 6 as we think about this commitment. Verse 5, he says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Now, notice that phrase. As they pass through the valley of Baca, as they make it a spring, the rain also covers it with pools. You see, with this, we see that in this commitment that there is a journey. Notice there, he says that God, His heart is set upon the pilgrimage. What? Not upon this earth. This earth is not our home. 
We're just a passing through. We oftentimes sing. Peter wrote about that, except he said, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners. And because of that, we're not going to cling to the lust of the world. In other words, we're going to be on this earth, but we're going to live on this earth with a different focus and a different fashion. Be not conformed, literally means be not fashioned like this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove was that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12 and 2. So what's the point? The point is this. In our commitment, we're on a pilgrimage. We're just passing through. Now, if you'll go out and stare at that timeline with this in mind, this isn't our church. First and foremost, we know it's the Lord's church. Staring at that timeline reminds us that even while we're here, we're only here for a dot of time. This congregation was here before us, and we hope and pray this congregation will be here after us. So my commitment over my travel of time involved in the Mount Juliet Church of Christ will better the lives of others now and as Andrew so capably brought out in the lesson this morning in Bible class and for the future. But now I need to stop and ask myself this. If everybody in here, if their commitment were the same as mine, what kind of shape would this congregation be in? over the next five or ten years. If everyone met as often as I met with the assemblies, what condition would we be in? If everyone served as I serve, if that were their level of commitment, how would we do as a congregation? If everyone checked on each other and loved each other and fellowshiped each other the way I do, that same level of commitment, would we be in great shape for the future? It's important for us to think about how much do I love the Lord and how much do I love His church. Now as we close this lesson, if you will, look with me to verse 3 and 4. And he paints a beautiful picture here of the psalmist saying in 3, Even the sparrow has found a home. Isn't that beautiful? He says, the sparrows found a home and the swallow a nest herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King, my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. He talks about two birds that have found homes because God has provided homes. And then he closes his verses by saying, but listen. I found a place to dwell. I want to be a resident also of your house. Now, if you will, skip down and read verse 10. He says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, when we think about a bird, why do they have that nest? God made them that way. God made them to know how to build a nest, where to build a nest, how to live in a nest, and etc. As a matter of fact, in Job the 39th chapter, when God was correcting Job for any doubt that he had, and he was giving them the test of, hey, who did these things? Was it you or was it me? You remember? He said, who taught the hawk how to spread his wings toward the south and fly? That wasn't Job that taught him that. God taught him that. And then the next three or four verses, he deals with who taught the eagle to build their nest upon high? 
Well, who taught the the eagle how to build their nest? It was God. Friends, God provides a home for the birds. Should we be any less surprised that He would provide a home for us? And our spiritual home is in His house, the church. What is home? It's a place to belong, to be safe, to be loved, to be forgiven. A place of provision. As he mentions here, it is a place to raise your young. So many over the last 115 years have been blessed. Have this congregation as home. Today, you and I enjoy that blessing. And let's make sure that we deal in our relationship with God and with each other so that we help promote that blessing to others today and to others in the generations to come. It's striking to me, if you still have your Bibles open, glance down again at verse 10. A day in your courts better than a thousand. Now, wait a minute. A day in the courts of the Lord. Remember the courtyard of the tabernacle? He's saying, not even if, even if I don't enter the holies or the most holies, a day there is better than a thousand... What? I'm assuming a thousand days. But a thousand days where? A day in the court of the Lord is better than a thousand days, a thousand years, a thousand dollars... Or a thousand days at Disney World? It's better than a thousand days sleeping in? It's better than a thousand days of vacation? A day with the Lord is better than a thousand days of sin? Lust of the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life? What's the answer? Why didn't he finish it? Why did he just say a day is better than a thousand? It doesn't matter what you put in that blank. A day with the Lord is better than any. No matter what quantity or where or what you're doing. And that's why he says, if I couldn't come into the house of God and be a part of the family and I just had to be a servant at the door... I'd still want to come to the family of God. Remember the prodigal son wanting to come home? He'd been hungry. He'd lived his his life's desire of sin. He'd fed pigs. He stank. He was starving. And finally he said, I'll just go home and ask to be a servant. The symbolism here is a doorkeeper. I won't ask to be part of the family again because just to be close to God and to His house for a day is better than a thousand. What a blessing we have. God has blessed you and I so richly to have a relationship with Him and with a congregation of His people. And let's make sure we deal wisely with it. Let's make sure that we use today as a reminder to thank God for it. Let's make sure that we use today as a reminder to thank others that are 
around us that have had such a significant part of that. And in all, let's give God the glory. If you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, won't you do that this morning? It's better than a thousand. If you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, you've lost that relationship that's close. You've lost that commitment. You've lost that residence, that place in the house of God. Won't you restore that this morning? As we're about to sing this song of encouragement, I'd like for you to please fill in the blank. If you're thinking about you need to make your life right, but I might not because... Please think of what the psalmist taught us this morning. You can't put a reason in that blank that is worthy. There's not one. A day with the Lord and in the Lord's house is better than anything. Let's leave here this morning in the Lord's family. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.